Exodus 12, 1 through 13. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. They are to eat the meat that night. They should eat it roasted over the fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roast it over fire, its head as well as its legs and inner organs. You must not leave any of it until morning. Any part of it left until morning you must burn. Here is how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of the Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Well, you see, we set out some more chairs, so I have a little bit of breathing room this morning, and then we've got some people out in the foyer, so yeah, you're welcome for that. So let's do a little bit of praying right now, and let's make sure that everything is good between us and the Lord this morning. So God, we just come to you now, we pray that you would just open our spiritual eyes and ears. Can you pray something like that? God, just show me if I have some bitterness in my heart, maybe... You might have some blind spots. God, open my eyes to my blind spots. If I'm harboring unforgiveness, and grant me the ability to forgive this morning, God. Guys, convict me where I need conviction. Encourage my heart where I need encouragement. So God, we just pray that all this time comes under your kingdom authority rule. We pray that you would just reign and rule over this time right now. And God, that we would just see what you're doing right here in this moment and join you in that. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. Yeah, so many years ago, I, was, I used to own a carpet cleaning business, and I used to clean carpets for, for people. And sometimes I come into their house, a lot of times they would ask me to come in, and they would have a stain in their carpet. And I would tell them before I would ever start cleaning, I'd say, hey, listen, here's the situation with this stain. If that stain has actually changed the color of the fiber in the carpet, I can clean it, make it smell good, and get as clean as it can be, and it will not change the color of that fiber back to its original color. So sometimes, you see, what happens is, is that for us, sin can stain us so deeply that it changes the very fiber the way that we think. And the way that we think and the way we behave and who we are. And there's only one thing that can change that stain inside of us because we can try washing and cleaning and doing all this behavior modification stuff and nothing ever changes because in the fiber of who we are, there's only one thing that can bring change as far as that's concerned this morning. So let me ask you something today. Is the renewing work of the Holy Spirit, is that moving, turning, and churning in your life today? Because here's what I can say, that if, if right now, if you feel God moving in your heart, that is a good sign. The worst place that you could be would be to sit in church and feel callous and not feel anything from the Lord. This morning we talk about the lamb, the blood, and your purity. Maybe you don't feel very pure this morning, but maybe you will before you leave out this morning. So the Bible says, Isaiah 1.18, come now, let us reason together. So this reason together right here in the Hebrew, this is yakak, <coughs> excuse me. It means to judge or to argue. So this is like a court setting to where God's saying, come on, let's get this, let's get legally, let's get things right between me and you, okay? This is serious business. Says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they're red, 
They shall be white as snow. They that are red like crimson, they shall become. So only God can change the very fiber of who we are. That's called life transformation. So you guys that listen to me every week, we always talk about that we're not aimed towards behavior modification. So now, the reason I always talk about that is because I missed that in church growing up. Growing up in church, all I understood was behavior modification. Do better, be better, do better. And if you're not, then I felt like, okay, I'm not good enough, so I must not be a good Christian. Something's wrong with me. Until I started learning the Bible for myself, I started realizing that this, listen, this isn't about taking my behavior and modifying it. It's about giving room for the grace of God to transform my heart, and that changes my behavior. God's the one that does the behavior changing. It's the grace of God. Listen, if that sounds foreign to you, then don't you think about something. If you've ever really loved someone that changed you, usually it changes you for the better if the love's the right kind of love. So that's what the love of Jesus does in us. It actually transforms us, who we are, the very fiber of our being. So let's go all the way back to Genesis. This is called the original sin. Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve took the forbidden fruit. The serpent convinced them they'd be better off if they sinned. That same temptation is coming at you today, by the way. If you fall into sin, the temptation is you'll be better off. And you never are. Were they better off if they ate the forbidden fruit? Quite the opposite, huh? And here's the, listen, this is sad. The eyes of both of them were open. That's some, that's some of the saddest words in the Bible to me. Some of you that are raising your children. Man, when they're young and they're innocent, that's a beautiful thing. But when they start to lose that innocence, it's a sad thing, isn't it? Well, that's what happened in one moment right here for Adam and Eve. He said, the both of them, and, and they knew they were naked. So here's what they did. They did some works righteousness. They tried to do some behavior modification. They sewed some fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. Because now they feel ashamed. Now they feel condemnation. So now they got to do some works on their part to make themselves acceptable to God because they've been... They've been communing with God. They've been in God's presence. And now that they've sinned, their relationship has changed. So here's what you have to understand something today. If you want to commune with the Lord, if you want to be close to Jesus, then what happens is, is that sin changes your relationship with Jesus. It's just that simple. That whenever you choose to sin, it's not that he forsakes you. Or he forgets all about you. He turns his back on you. But it changes the dynamic of your relationship with him. For instance, God did not give up on Adam and Eve. Matter of fact, if you go, if you go down just a little bit, it says that the Lord God made clothing from skin. So this, this theologians believe this was the first sacrifice for sin. That God took the lives of the animals, their blood, on behalf of Adam and Eve, made a covering for them, and he brings a, so he didn't turn his back on them. Now let me ask you something. Did their relationship with God change? It absolutely, I mean, they, they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. I mean, man, it's been bad things on earth ever since we've had to deal with since then. But God didn't give up on us. Oh, hey, listen, this morning, as we come to the Passover, we've been working our way towards this week after week after week, and here we are, we're finally getting to the Passover. This is a big deal. Let me ask you something. You that are in Christ Jesus, is Easter or what we refer to here as Resurrection Sunday, is that a big event for you? It should be a big deal to you as a Christian. That's a big celebration for us. Passover is, is all about Resurrection Sunday. Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So you may be asking yourself, why does there have to be shedding for blood before God can forgive sin? You have to understand, in the Bible, blood represents life. So listen, what does sin do? Sin brings death. So we need a covering over that death that sin is bringing. And so what God does is God says, okay, here's what, here's what you've got to have. You've got to have life covering that sin, that death in you. That death between your relationship, between you and God, that death between you and other people when you sin against them or they sin against you. Why do we talk about forgiveness? Why is you forgiving other people so it's such a big deal? In the Bible, Jesus said, when you forgive other people their sins, God will forgive you. But if you don't forgive other people their sins, then your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. That's Sermon on the Mount stuff right there, folks. And you're like, ah, oh, just the red letters. There's your red letters right there, man. That's, what, that's a huge deal. 
Now, you may be sitting here right now saying, man, I can't forgive so-and-so. Or I can't forgive myself. That's why we always say you've got to pray and ask God, the Holy Spirit, to give you the ability to forgive yourself. To, give you the, to grant you the ability to forgive someone else. He can and will do that if you sincerely are praying that. You have to pray it over and over and over again. But he will answer that prayer in time. So the Passover lamb, let's talk about lambs in the Bible. The Passover lamb, we're going to actually study this morning. Then also they use lambs for sacrificial system to cover the sins of the nation of Israel before Jesus. And then you've got Jesus who is the lamb of God. And then you've got the lamb in Revelation, which is Jesus also, which is a whole new dynamic of the lamb, by the way. The Passover lamb, what does it represent? It represents purity. Think of, you'll see this. A one-year-old lamb. There's nothing more innocent than that one-year-old little bitty lamb. Very innocent. It's talking about the innocence right here a bit. It's a substitution. And also it's going to be a foreshadowing of Jesus. Look at this. John the Baptist. Standing out there by the Jordan. He's baptizing people. And whenever he sees Jesus, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's more power in that statement than we realize. So I read a story about Charles Spurgeon. And he was a famous preacher years ago over in England, if you don't know who he is. And he went to, he had his big, booming, loud voice. And his church had grown so much that they, they couldn't get the people in church anymore. So they went and rented a, a big facility in town. And so they get in there and he gets up. They don't have any amplification at this time. So he gets up in this big auditorium by himself. And he's going to try out the acoustics in there. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Behold. He started saying it over and over. And he was checking out the acoustics, you know. Well, that Sunday, he gets up there to preach. He preaches this sermon. After the sermon's over with, this man comes down crying. And he comes down there and he says, hey, he said, I work here. And he said, when you came in the other day, I was back. You couldn't see me. I was in the rafters working. And when you said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, he said, it pierced my heart. He said, I went home and I couldn't stop. I heard that over and over and over. He said, I need to be saved. Here we are. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. Then Yahweh, your first Sunday morning with us, that's God's personal name. Then Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, in the land of Egypt, here we go, a new beginning. This month, it's to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. So this is the birth of a nation. So Passover for them is beginning the, the beginning of the year for them, their calendar year. Passover for them would be like for us if we took New Year's Day and we took July the 4th and we took Thanksgiving and we wrapped them all into one celebration on the first day of the year. It's a big hoedown for them, in other words, for us here in East Texas, okay? It is a big deal when they start their year off. Because when they start their year off, what they're doing is they're remembering God's delivering them, how God delivered them out of bondage. Now, see, here's what I got asked this morning. Has anybody in the church this morning been delivered from bondage in here? So, I mean, if we came together every year and we said, this is a day that we celebrate. Wait a second, something just hit me. What if that's what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday? Wouldn't that be good? Yeah, forget the Easter egg hunt. Okay? Don't, don't let the world cover up the truth of what this is. All right? Now go let your kids eat, eat you know, get, get the, go do the, I'm not against the Easter egg hunt and all that kind of stuff. I'm just against pushing Jesus off the side. The true meaning, it's not Easter. It's Resurrection Sunday. It is a new beginning. So what you're going to see in this story is it's all about a new beginning for us as well that are in Christ Jesus when he resurrected back from the dead. You're fill out. Okay, look, let's, let's take out that piece of paper. You're so anxiously waiting to get the, the fill in here. Let's go now. Number one, got two of them right here to start off with this morning. It's important for us to remember God's past. Have you been saved? See, some of y'all have been a while since you thought about that. You, been, you got too used to being saved, you know? What you've what you been saved from? Some of y'all have been radically saved. Some of y'all were heading off in the wrong direction. It was bad, and God, Jesus came and rescued you. You need to remember that. Your salvation because, listen, we got to remember God's past acts of salvation because this is crucial for stirring our affections for Jesus in the present 
In the fear, listen, this is one of the most important things. You go back and you listen to the preachers of old and almost every single one of their sermons, they would preach to the people and they say, one of the most important things for you is that your affections will be stirred for Jesus. Because when you listen, when your affections are stirred for something, you don't have to be reminded very much about that thing. You know, love, romantic love, the, the little kids that are, the teenagers that are in puppy love, they don't, are they thinking about the person they're in love with? Is it altering the way they look? And the way they smile, the way they talk, your relationship with Jesus will be so powerful that it alters the way you look. That love in your heart transforms you so much. It should change the way you talk, you walk, where you go. It should totally transform your life by the love, not by behavior modification. Somebody needs to get set free from that today, by the way. So I will remember the deeds of the Lord, yes. I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Amen. Number two. Through the Passover, Israel is born as a new nation with a new identity. In Christ, we have been given a new birth and a new identity. A to the men. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore. If anyone is in Christ, is anyone in Christ in this church this morning? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Everything is new. Man, I see things in a whole different way now that I'm in Christ Jesus this morning. So tell the whole community. The whole community. Listen, this is, this is important right here, folks. This whole thing is about people who have a common unity. They have something in common. So this morning when we wrap this up and we take communion, that's something we're doing in common. We're unified in Christ Jesus. We're coming in. We're saying, listen, this is something that I'm partaking with with all these people. I have this in common with everybody that's in this room right now. This is common unity. We're coming together to do this. The whole community of Israel. Then on the 10th day of the month, they must each select an animal from the flock according to their... Now, this is interesting. Man, our English translation sometimes just don't do much justice to the original Hebrew. So when you read this in Hebrew, what this is, is this is avat bayat, avat bayat right here. So these words, what that means, it means rather than the father's family, it's a better translation to be the father's house. And this is talking about the father being the patriarch. So like, put it this way. If you've got Mimi and Papa living here, let's go East Texas, all right? Mimi and Papa living right here. And then their kids in their houses around. So here's what they do. They all go to Mimi and Pawpaw's house. Because Pawpaw's the patriarch. He's got the one that's got the covering. He's the one. Listen, men. He's the one that covers the family. Just like today, it's your responsibility to cover your family with prayer. To cover your family with truth. To protect and provide for your family. That's a God-given thing that God has given you. So they all go to the patriarchs and that the patriarch, this is where they will, they will observe the Passover meal there with the patriarch, okay? Now let me ask you something. Are you under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus? See, he now he is our patriarch also. We're under his kingdom authority rule. He's the one that protects and provides for us. He's the one that intercedes. He is making intercession for you right now in heaven. He is praying for you. That's worth coming to church for right there, okay? We can just shut it down and go home, but we won't. We'll stick with this, okay? Romans 12, 1, it says this, speaking of sacrifices, then New Testament. Therefore, brothers and sisters, those of you that are in Christ Jesus, in view of the mercies of God, have you received the mercy of God today? I urge you to present your bodies as oxymoron, living sacrifice, because use that sacrifice as dead, as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing God, this is your, you want to really worship God, that's how you do that. So i got to ask myself a question. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? That's number three. Being a living sacrifice is an act of surrender, devotion, and worship which we live every moment in submission to God, offering every thought, word, and action to Him. That's how I'm a living sacrifice. Now listen, folks, I'm going to tell you something this morning. We have got to be willing to do something very radical for this to happen. You've got to be willing to die to yourself. 
You've got to be willing to die to what's called your flesh, your sin nature, and not allow your sin nature to reign and rule over your life anymore. That is essential for this to happen. So when we talk about the lamb, the blood, and your purity, thank God it's not your works righteousness that gets you there. Thank God it's not based on how good of a person you are that you're pure before God. This is based on the blood of Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross for you. When you come under that, see, now that's when I'm going to get a living sacrifice. Now listen, listen, man, i got to slow down. Because I don't want you to walk out of here thinking that you've got to behave yourself into God's good graces. If I did that, that would be blasphemy as far as I'm concerned. You don't behave yourself into God's good graces. God's not looking and going, good Christian, bad Christian. No, he's looking and saying, in Christ, out of Christ. Saved, lost. We're the ones that categorize good Christians as bad Christians. God doesn't do that. My whole, listen, here's what it comes down to. If I want to be close to Jesus, then I want to walk in purity. Then I want to die to myself. If I'm going to walk in sin, I'm not going to be close to Jesus. I'm going to struggle when I go to church to even hear the sermon. I'm going to struggle to read my Bible, listen to my Bible, and struggle to pray. All this whole Christian thing is going to be hard for me because I'm going to have sin in my life that's reigning and ruling over my life. So it comes down to this, dear friend. Do you want to be close to Jesus? If you say, yes, I want to be close to Jesus, then that is why you want to be pure before the Lord, to walk in purity, to do your best. Does that mean you'll never, ever sin again? No. Does it, but here's what it's going to mean. It's going to mean that I'm going to do everything I can to avoid it, though. Everything I can to avoid sin. I'm going to put some guardrails in my life. I'm going to cut some things out. I'm going to stop doing some things that are leading me into sin. I'm going to cut, I mean, I'm going to get away from that because it is important for me to be close, more important to me to be close to Jesus than this sin. Oh, listen, some of you right now, you know what that is. And nobody has it pointed out. The Holy Spirit's pointing it out to you right now, and you know. So you, just, you can hear every week, and I get up here, and I'm like trying to get you to read your Bible more, pray more, and I'll keep on doing that to the very end. But here's another, I got, I got a new one for you. You like challenges? Here's a new challenge for you. Do this. Take that little pet sin or whatever it is, and you just go one week. Set that dude aside for one week. Put it aside for one week. Say, this week, I'm not going to do that. Because I love Jesus and I want to be closer to Jesus. My motivation is the love of Jesus in my heart. And you see what a difference that makes. And just simply even how you feel this week. If the household is too small, it means like under 10 people for a whole animal. They, 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 they needed 10 people per animal. Then that person and their neighbor's nearest neighbor. Oh man, some of y'all got some neighbors that y'all have to be having the mill with y'all be have to have the celebration with your neighbors and some of y'all like oh what man anybody with them so you had to get they got it's important for them to get along with their neighbors anyway and they're selected based on the combined number of people you should appropriate you should apportion the animal according to what each one will eat number four we're united under the new covenant of jesus and communion should serve to deepen our bonds with Jesus and one another. 1 Corinthians 10, 17, love this verse. Within context, it's even richer, but didn't have room here. Because there is one bread. So, this little bitty unleavened bread thing that we got right here, we'll talk about that in a moment. Because there's one bread, we who are many in this room right here, out there in that room out there too, we are one body. So we are doing something unified together. This is bringing us into unity. It should be something. It is a sacred, holy moment. You should be excited about that this morning, by the way, that are in Christ Jesus. You must have an unblemished. Oh, wow. The unblemished. That's so interesting. Man. You should have an unblemished animal, a year old male. And you may take it from either the sheep or the goat. So you go out, you got to get the best one right here. So why is purity important to God? Okay. 
Because who are you going to fill out? God is holy and righteous, and He requires everything in His presence to be consecrated to Him. So consecrate, listen, when you consecrate something, that means you set it aside for God's use. So some of you, you you practice tithing. That's what tithing is. Tithing is where we take the 10% of everything I earn, and I bring it to God, and I consecrate that to God. And here's here's, listen. Old Testament principle of tithing is, I'm not getting here and telling you, man, you got to tithe, you're, you're lost if you're not tithed, or anything like that. But here's what I want to tell you. It is an important principle because what tithing does is tithing kills the greed monster inside of us. It makes me like, say, I'm not God. Listen, God, I'm stewarding everything that you've given me. So when I take 10% of that and I bring it before God and I say, God, this is consecrated to you. I wouldn't have anything that went for you, God. Now, this is for you. So that consecration, listen, to be holy. Say amen if you're listening to me right now. To be holy means to be set apart to God. Doesn't mean to be perfect. We got that all messed up. We think people are good and that they're holy. No, it means set apart. So when you, listen, God wants your life to be set apart for Him. Consecrated for Him. Let me ask you a question. How long has it been since you consecrated something to the Lord? How long has it been since you've... So here's what you have to understand. They went out and they went through all of their herd. You farmers in here. They have livestock. And they got their most valuable one. Are you with me now? the one that has the most promise, the one that's for the best breeding purposes, the one that's going to bring them the most money, they took the best one they had, their future promise of the best is what they brought to God. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God chose you in holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy as I am. You must be set apart just as I am set apart. Jesus said we're to be in the world, but not of thee. It's essential for spiritual growth and life transformation. Purity is. Does that mean like, so then, dear friends, since we have this promise, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bring holiness to completion in fear of God. So I should be, I should be striving for purity, because, listen, if I'm going to grow spiritually and have life transformation, I can't be having sin reign and rule over my life. It just ain't going to happen. I can't do that. Sin has got a trick to it. It makes you think that you need it, and it will fulfill you, and it makes you miserable in the end. Your flesh is out to destroy you. That's the bad news this morning. That flesh, you're right, that sin nature, it is out to destroy your spiritual life. you got a battle going on in you right now. We need help in this. We can't do it on our own. That's why we talk about praying, reading the Bible, coming together. Man, listen. It's a pre- I'm going to truly worship. It's a prerequisite to true worship. Oh, I love this. Psalms chapter 24, verses 3 through 4. Who may ascend, go up to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false, and who has not sworn deceitfully, had told any lies. That's a person that can come into God's presence and truly worship him. How many of y'all were excited to come to church this morning? That's, it should, do you know how many people in the world were like dreading going to church this morning? I feel sorry. Listen, if you're here this morning, you're like, man, I was, I was dreading coming out. I don't really like being here this morning. You know what? Hey, listen, I am sorry. That's all I got to say is that, but this is good for you. This is sanctifying for you. And you're building character. So it's all good. And for those of y'all that want to be here and y'all excited and everything, man, bless God. Praise the Lord. God is good this morning. The firstborn, unblemished, represents the most worth. The young lamb represents the most innocent, and the selection represents the best choice. Have you made the best choice? When you choose to live your life for Jesus, that is the best choice. 
when you choose to let him reign and rule over your life, that is the best choice. Now you're going to keep this lamb for 14 days of this month, and then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter their animals right when the sun's going down, because this is something that's going to happen whenever God comes in there and he starts bringing the death of the firstborn male, it's going to be at nighttime. Y'all watch the Ten Commandments, right? Y'all saw the movie, all right? That's what happens. So he's like, so every time they're commemorating this, they're to do it, and listen, it's an illustration for them to teach, for that patriarch to teach his children and his grandchildren about being delivered from bondage. They must take some of the blood and put it on the, do, the, the two doorposts. And if you don't know what a lentil is, that's the top of the door frame, okay? Of the houses where they eat them. So they take the blood. Here's the lamb. And here's the blood. So they put the blood over the threshold, around the threshold. Now, how many of y'all got a door on your house? Hmm? Why is that door important? I mean, I mean, that door's kind of important, isn't it? I mean, a lot of times whenever you, you, you come in, a lot of y'all, y'all close that door, y'all lock that door. Some of y'all don't ever lock your door, and that's okay too, but some of you lock it at night. That door's kind of important. Would you not agree with me? It's an important aspect because that is what separates what's on the outside from what's on the inside. Okay? So, a, so whenever the blood is put over the door frame here, it's separating death on the outside from life on the inside. I'll see, I don't know if we're getting that just yet, okay? All right? Death on the outside, life on the inside. It's our responsibility to apply the blood of Jesus to the doorposts of our hearts so that we can live under his atoning kingdom rule in our life. But now listen, so they had, God didn't bring the animal to them. They didn't wake up one morning and say, okay, let's go pray for God to bring us that right one. And there it comes trotting up in the middle. This is the one right here. They had to go out. They had to go find it. They had to go do the, I mean, the patriarch would take the children out and they, they would select the best one, bring the best one in, and then they would bring it right there. Listen, you ever brought animals around your children? What happens when you bring animals or little babies, animals around your children? They fall in love with the, with the animal, don't they? You go out there and get, okay, let's go get the one that we as a family, as a community are going to slaughter. Let's bring it in here among the children. Let the children fall in love with it. Does that sound cruel to you? Does that sound harsh to you? Do you know why it does? Because sin is cruel to you. And sin is harsh. Whenever God the Father sees what sin does to you, it is cruel. It is harsh. And it is serious. And He wants us to get the weight of our sin. So when they did that to these children, when these children the whole time, that patriarch saying, hey, listen, are you falling in love with this lamb? Do you know what this lamb is representing? This lamb is going to represent our sin. This lamb has got to pay the price for our sin. And we are going to have to be the ones to slaughter it. For I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So am I crucified with Christ? Have I died to the power of sin in my life? The boundary between life and death. This is not on your outline. The tree of knowledge, good and evil, that was a boundary tree. Whenever Adam and Eve ate that forbidden fruit, they crossed over the boundary to death. The door on Noah's ark. Do you know that God told him to build the door? Who shut the door? He shut it and God sealed it. Because, listen, everything on the inside. Oh, no, 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 hang on a second. Even the animals. The animals got to come. You know they got to bring the animals into their house for the Passover, right? Because if they don't bring their animals in, the firstborn male of the animals will die. Everything's got to come in. If you want to live, it's got to come in. We've got to shut the door, put the blood over the door. If we don't do that, the firstborn male is going to die. Let me ask you something. What did Pharaoh do in Exodus chapter 1 to the male children of the Israelites? Had him thrown in the Nile. And God was like, you kill my firstborn son? Guess what I'm going to do? Told him way back a long time ago. And now it's all coming true. So listen, I know. <laughs> I grew up in a culture that where we get, would have evangelists come by and they'd preach the book of Revelation to us and they would scare, scare the Hades out of us, you know? 
And every, every, you know, after year after year, these evangelists coming through and scaring, you know, Revelation is scaring. You finally get callous to it. We sit back and you go, oh, here we go. Revelation sermons, yeah. Any day now, that's right. Heard that last year and the year before and the year before. And you get callous towards it. It gets like, ah, oh, that didn't really want to happen. Let me ask you something. Did Pharaoh's heart get calloused? Did he, did, would he not listen to the warning? Man, we've got to be careful with that. Okay, listen, I don't have time. If you want to know more about Noah's Ark, send me an email. Got a whole bunch of stuff I'll send you all about anything on this whole sermon. Got it all written out. You can keep it for yourself if you want to, but there's so much more to that door. The obedience and disobedience in Deuteronomy, God said, I set life and death before you. Choose life, the law. The narrow gate and the wide gate. Jesus said the narrow gate and the straight gate. Choose that the hard way. Because broad is the way and broad is the gate that leads to death and destruction, and many find it. And then the Lamb's Book of Life, you written in there, that's life. You're not found in the Lamb's Book of Life, that's eternal death. I am the door, Jesus says. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And listen, he's going to have freedom, broken free from bondage. He's going to be going in and out, finding pasture, everything that he needs. He's going to go out in the pastures. Guess what he needs? Come back in because he's got freedom now. Mm. Okay, I'm a lot more excited about that than y'all are. It's okay. <laughs> they are to eat the meat that night. Uh-oh. Okay, we'll get some good stuff right here. They should eat it. Roasted over the fire along with the unleavened bread and the bitter herb. So some of y'all, when y'all take that little thing that's like a sponge in there, and y'all eat it, you're like, okay, so listen, this is really unleavened bread. I know you've seen the movies where it looks all beautiful and they're ripping it apart and everything. This is unleavened bread. The reason that they had to eat the unleavened bread is because they were doing this in a hurry. They didn't have time for it to rise. And the bitter herbs, because they wanted to be reminded of the bitterness of their bondage. You move away from the Bible, and all the secular world tells you, you got to forget about that, those things, those things in the past, all that kind of stuff. you gotta, you got to get over that. Oh, listen, listen, I'm not saying that's wrong, but here's what I'm saying. The Bible says remember. I've got to remember what I've been set free from. Because if I forget what I've been set free from, then all of a sudden I become a pretty good person. I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. I'm good. Man, I used to, back in the old days, just go knocking on doors, door-to-door evangelism. I go knock on the door and I'll be like, hey, you know, my name's David Yarrow, I'm the preacher, I got the Bible in my hand, all that kind of stuff, you know. Here I am, standing out there, goofy smile on my face, going to tell you about Jesus. Here's what they would do. It's like they all went around the neighborhood before we got there and they'd be like, we're all good in here. And the Bible says that there is none good, there is none righteous. So it's not about being good and bad, it's about being in Christ or not in Christ, saved or lost. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roast it over fire. Its head as well as its inner organs. Sound tasty? Doesn't, does it? My first mission trip, man. I mean, like, I'm not a big fish eater. And I never forget, went to Belize and went in there and they, they told me, said, David, listen, whatever food they put in front of you, eat it. And I never forget, I walked in there and the lady was cooking some fish and the whole thing, man, the head was hanging out one of the pan, the tail was hanging out the other. And they brought it out there and set the whole thing in front of me. And I never will forget, the dude that stayed in his house, he was a pastor of a local church. The first thing he does is picks up the fish head, put it in his mouth and sucks the eyeballs out. Yeah, you want to go on a mission trip? Yeah, there we go. Good times on the mission field. So they, listen, they cook the whole thing. Why do they cook the whole thing? Why don't we take the inner organs out? Because if you're not going to do a whole sacrifice, then don't do a sacrifice at all. Don't give a partial sacrifice to God. Oh, God, I'm going to give you this. Yeah, you know, David, he's talking about that. I, I agree with what he said. I'm going to set apart this, but i got to hold this back over here. See, this is mine, God. This is my little pet sin. Here's Fluffy right here. I love Fluffy. i got all the justification for Fluffy. I need Fluffy. You don't want Fluffy, do you? You don't want that cute little lamb we brought into our house and my children fell in love. My grandchildren love that lamb. They've been sleeping with the lamb. It's so beautiful. Do you see how bad and wretched sin is? That's what God's saying. See, whenever we start to look at sin and we fall in love with sin, that's when we're in trouble. 
You must not leave any of it until morning. Any part of it left until morning, you got to burn it. So you know at Thanksgiving, all those leftovers you eat, they don't do that here. This was not for their enjoyment. The bitter, you, ever, you ever ate a real Passover meal? Not real tasty, is it? I mean, like, it's, I mean, you know, I mean, they're probably like, well, thank God, no leftovers. All right, we'll do that one. But it's not about their physical enjoyment on this, okay? This is about, this is about God instituting something to them to where they can remember the bitterness and how hard it was to be in bondage. Here's how you must eat it. You must eat it dressed for travel. Your sandals on your feet and your staff on your hands. You are to eat it in a hurry. In the Lord's, man, we can do that today in America. We eat in a hurry, don't we? In the Lord's Passover. That's how they're to do it right there. They got to be in a hurry. Let me show you a verse right here. Therefore, be alert, Jesus said, since you don't know what day the Lord's coming. So Jesus said, the angels in heaven don't know when I'm coming back. I don't even know when I'm coming back. Only my Father in heaven knows when I'm coming back. So he says, be alert. Since you don't know what day the Lord is coming, this is why you're also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you... So, I got to go back to that little boy sitting there listening to those. The man just going, oh, yeah, Jesus coming back. And I got to repent of that. Because the Bible says I need to live and be ready at any moment and any day Jesus could come back. So I got to stay ready for his return. God says I'm going to pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. So got to get those animals inside too. Got to get those animals under the blood also. I am Yahweh. I will execute judgment against all the gods do you see? Look at this. This has been the story from the very beginning. It's all the, we look at that and we go, they're not really gods. I mean, that's just like, you know, they're little statues and stuff like that. They're not really gods. It is an offense to our God in heaven when anybody worships anything other than him. She says, this is, I'm executing judgment against their false worship. And the blood. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I'm not going to sing the hymn, but I want to right now. Only three of y'all know that hymn, right? <laughs> when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague. Listen, listen. These are plagues, the 10 plagues. Are you with me now? So don't be start thinking about COVID-19 and all that. These are the 10 plagues you're talking about. Keep it in context. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt, when you're under that blood. Are you under the blood of Jesus? Is heaven coming to your life right now? Can I tell you a story? Speaking of hymns, Robert Robinson, born in 1735 in Norfolk, England. Dad died when he was eight years old. They couldn't handle him. His mom sent him off to go live with relatives. His relatives couldn't handle him. They sent him off to military school. Military school couldn't handle him. So when he got to be about 16 years old, she sent him to England, I mean to London, to go to Barbary school, to be a barber. Okay, Barbary school. Anyway, so that's really what it's called. So he goes there, and he does what all other the young men that didn't have a good, strong, didn't have a man hold his hand to the fire. He was growing up in the right way, on and on and on, holding another sermon. But he gets out there and he starts hanging around with a bunch of hoodlums and he becomes a hoodlum. And, and being a hoodlum, they decide one night to go to a palm reader. He goes to the palm reader and he gets the palm reader drunk. And when he gets her drunk, he's not wanting to pay her, but he's wanting to get her to read his palm. He's make, they're making a joke. And she reads his palm and she says, you're going to live to see your children and your grand grandchildren to a ripe old age. And it messed with his mind. And he, he uh, couldn't stop thinking about that, and it just kind of messed with him, and he was really undone. Well, one of the most famous preachers who ever walked this earth, as far as preachers are concerned, his name was George Whitfield. George Whitfield was preaching in the area where he was living at this time and where he was hoodling me. He goes, you can make up words in theology, by the way. <laughs> learn that. It's one thing I learned about studying theology, make your own words up. So he decides... He gets his friends. He says, let's go heckle the evangelist. So they went there with just the intention of heckling him. Now, 
Spurgeon's voice, they said that Whitfield's voice was something else. He could preach to like hundreds and hundreds in open air and everybody understood every word he said. So I think when these little boys showed up and they saw the man there, they're like, they changed their mind. But I think the more important thing, though, is when they got there, the Holy Spirit hit them. And the Holy Spirit hit our man, Robert Robertson, at 17 years old. He came undone. He could not get away from his friends fast enough. He didn't know where to go or what to do. So he finally made his way to a church. Maybe I can get help there. When he went to the church, they explained the gospel of Jesus to him. He made a profession of faith, came under the blood of Jesus, and his life was radically changed. As a preacher, he wrote volumes of theology, but he also wrote one of the most famous hymns of all time, a hymn that is chock full of powerful theology, that here we are all these hundreds of years later, it is still being sung around the world. Okay, Let me show you just a little first and the ending of this hymn that he wrote. It's called, O Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. So listen, listen. He's saying that God is a fountain of every blessing. He's the one that gives me every blessing in my life it comes from him. He is the fountain. Okay? So he, he goes on, great theology loaded in this verse. And then when he gets down to the end, he says, to, Oh, to grace, how great I'm debted to God's grace. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let your goodness, God, like a fetter. A fetter is like what you, that they would, they would bind someone like to a ball and chain. That's a fetter. Like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to you, oh God. I'm prone to wander. So he's saying, in my flesh, I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to lead the God I love. So he's saying right here, that his whole life, that he can feel it right here. Here he is in his, his early 20s when he wrote this. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for the, so just seal it up in heaven, God. Don't let me wander away from you. Well, the story goes that he had struggles. God uses imperfect people. That's the good news in this story, by the way. He kind of weaved in and out, left being a preacher, had struggles, got back into a life of sin. And as an old man one day, he was riding on a carriage with another woman, and she had a hymn book out, and she was humming, O Come Thou Fount. And he's listening to her, and, he's, and he, it's, it's just agonizing him as she's humming this. And he finally says, um, Dear lady, what do you think about that song? Of course, she just beams. She's like, this song has helped me through so much. Oh, this has ministered to my heart so much. Love this song. This is reported what he said. I'm the poor unhappy man. Who wrote that hymn many years ago? And would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy that feeling again. I look at that. I'm like, <laughs> How can you be at that point to where you can write something so beautiful and so powerful and then stray away? This is, serves as a warning to every single one of us today. If you love the Lord, if you're being drawn near to the Lord, don't just make the assumption that it's always going to happen that way naturally. I'll look to Psalms and David says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. So David, he'd be out in the desert running from Saul and he knew what it meant to go without water. He knew what it meant to go without food. He knew what it meant to be just so thirsty. He couldn't hardly stand up. And he says, this is the way I want to long after for you, God. Just like I do when I'm thirsty, dying of thirst and hunger. I want to be that way towards you, God. I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So we got to pray for the Holy Spirit to stir your affections for a deeper, richer, stronger desire to seek God. When you get that filled out, you can stand up.
fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing Thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount. I'm fixed upon it, mount of Thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, here by Thy great help I've come, and I hope. By thy good pleasure, safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. from sinning I shall see thy lovely face clothed then in blood washed linen how I'll sing thy sovereign grace come my Lord no longer tarry take my ransom soul away send thy name now to carry me to realms of endless day. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts So taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night when He was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and He said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we don't enter into this sacred time lightly. So this is... And taking communion, this is, there's a mystery in this that we don't quite understand. It's like in baptism, but there's some kind of a union that's happening between us and Jesus and us and everybody else. That's just a mystery. We don't know. But just as God commanded the Israelites to observe Passover, then Jesus commanded us to observe the new covenant and doing this and remembering his death for our sins. So if you're comfortable in praying with me, let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you for your body. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the new covenant. You are my God. 
my King, my Lord, and my Savior. Let's eat together. Yeah, for the Lord is good. And His faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all the generations. And the same way, also He took the cup after supper and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So if you haven't done so, let's go ahead and open up the juice. So this represents the blood of Jesus. The atoning blood of Jesus covers our sin. Just like you know, that, that blood that they were to put over the door frame, it represented this. It represented the atonement of Jesus, the sacrifice, the substitute. So Jesus substituted His life for you so that you will not have to come under the wrath of God. The beauty of the new covenant is it's based on the grace of Grace of God, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not by works, so no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in beforehand, that we should walk in them. So if you feel comfortable, you can pray with me now. Dear Jesus, thank You for Your blood. Thank You for the new covenant. Thank You for being my substitute. I bring my life under your atonement. I bring my life under your kingdom authority rule. You're my God. You're my King. You're my Lord. And you're my Savior. Let's drink together. If you would, please stand. So Lord, we do pray that you would bind our hearts like a fetter to you and your goodness, O oh God. Man, so I just got this, I got this sense that there's somebody in here this morning that is living bound up in unforgiveness. So I just want you to know that the Lord wants to set you free today. And just right there where you're at right now, that you praise in your heart. God, I need to forgive. And you put that name in there. Grant me the ability to forgive and put their name in there. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will not allow a root of bitterness to spring up in my heart. Can you pray that? Causing trouble, defiling many. Hebrews 12, 15. So you're praying the very Word of God. God, my desire is to walk in freedom from this. See, so some of you right now, you're thinking about that one sin that you're going to lay down this week. So God, I pray that you, by your grace and your mercy, would break me free from, can you name that right now? So that you name that in your heart right now, say that comes under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus. I'm a child of God. It no longer has authority over me. So Jesus, I pray that you would help me to walk in freedom this week. So God, I pray that you prepare us for Resurrection Sunday as a community. As we walk our way through Passover and we walk and we get closer to Resurrection Sunday, God, that, that this year it would hold more significance than any other year we've ever experienced Resurrection Sunday. 
So God, prepare us, educate us, teach us, transform us, change us, oh God. So as you leave out of here today, I pray that the Lord bless you and keep you. Mm. Man, bind our hearts like a fetter, oh God. Bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace as you go in Jesus' name.